0: I have preached this sermon hundreds of times because I've not slept much. And so bear with me. Uh, I suspect that I will make everyone uncomfortable, some perhaps mad. and, And please know that I am doing my best given the way I believe the Lord has led me to speak. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and so I had decided weeks ago that we were going to speak about the day of Pentecost, and I still am because I believe it applies perfectly to where we are. So, if you will, if you'd like, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I love the book of Leviticus. Many people don't. It's just so significant to understanding all the Scripture. And in Leviticus twi- ch- chapter 23, there is a description of the holy days for the nation of Israel. And verse 15 speaks of the Feast of Weeks, which came to be known as Pentecost. From the day after, verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf wave offering... In other words, that referring back to the Sabbath of the Passover, which represented the first fruits of the barley crop. They would bring a a sheaf of the wave offering celebrating the barley harvest at the date of the Passover. He said, after that, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days. That's, by the way, why we call it Pentecost, uh, the Greek word penta, representing 50. Uh, 50 days... "...up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord." This would have coincided with the wheat harvest. The barley harvest would have been earlier, the wheat harvest would have been later. "...from wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour baked with yeast." Uh, That actually feels a little scandalous. That's the only time yeast is used in an offering. As you know, that at times yeast represents sin in things, but here it is a fulfillment, and therefore the bread is brought with yeast. Some have even suggested related to the rising of our Lord from the grave, the rising of the bread. I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, And bring it as a wave offering of the first fruits of the wheat harvest of the Lord. Uh, there would be, by the way, a third offering in Sukkot in the, in the fall for the harvest of grapes and olives. So there are three first fruit uh, offerings in the Old Testament, something which always confused me before. Verse 18, present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams, and they will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs each a year old for a fellowship offering. And the priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. And they are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. And on that day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do not work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And when you reap that harvest... Of your land. Do not reap the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. This is a celebration of God's provision, it is a thanksgiving time and it is similar in some ways to our holiday of Thanksgiving when the harvest comes in you show your gratitude to God and notice where there is gratitude there is also generosity and he reminds them of the need to provide for the poor. Interestingly you wouldn't know this from reading Leviticus chapter 23 but by the time of Christ the day of Pentecost or the feast of weeks has taken on an additional meaning to the Jewish community. Uh, they came to believe that that the law was given on Sinai to Moses on the day of Pentecost which which actually makes a lot of sense because if if they left egypt at the original passover they they went through the red sea they wandered a bit came to Sinai that to say that would be approximately 50 days or possibly even exactly 50 days is not unreasonable and at the time of jesus The day of Pentecost was viewed as the day where they were reminded of the significance of the Mosaic Covenant when God gave His law and made a covenant with His people to define who they were and His expectations for them. Secondly, I want you to notice with me a paragraph that seems a little out of place, but it will make sense in a bit. John chapter 16, verse 5 through 16. I could have taken passages from John 14, John 16, but... I chose John 16, verse 5. Jesus is saying and during this last week of his life, I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you're going, but you're filled with grief because I've said these things. It's interesting. The apostles often respond emotionally in a way that shows they don't understand what Jesus is doing. But very truly... I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness of judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is to me one of the most scandalous passages in the New Testament, and and one that you have to trust God that it's true because Jesus literally says to his apostles, "It is better for you that I leave, because I have to leave for the Spirit to come, the Advocate, the Counselor. Uh, it's as you know if you've been around Grace a long time, the Paraclete, that that title that is unique in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit who will come and and impact Jesus' followers in a way that they could not comprehend. So first, in the Old Testament we have Leviticus chapter 23, and it's also referred to in Exodus, but the the Feast of Weeks, what came to be known as Pentecost, which also came to be known as the celebration of the giving of the law by the Lord to His people. And then secondly, in the end of Jesus' life, this very clear pronouncement that he will send when he is gone, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's ministry is so significant that it is better for his followers that Jesus leaves so that the Holy Spirit will come. Finally, I'd like for us to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is the description of the original day of Pentecost in which the New Testament church began and is one of the very, very, very significant theological pivot points in all of the Scriptures. Uh, you remember in Acts chapter 1 is the ascension. It records when Jesus uh, again speaks to His, apo- his apostles and said, I am leaving. He says Acts 1.8 and gives them their command to go into the world and then He has ascended into heaven in front of them. And now in chapter 2, 10 days later, when the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the holy spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them now you and i read that and it's amazing that tongues of fire come, a sound of wind, the, the room is clearly disturbed and shaken and then the Holy Spirit fills them and the demonstration of that is the disciples begin to speak in other languages and we read that and think, man, that must have been something. But I think there's clear evidence that for the Jewish believers at that time, they saw more to it than you and I do. In Exodus chapter 19 and later in chapter 20, there's a description on Mount Sinai when the Lord comes to Moses and gives him the law. Chapter 19 verse 16 of Exodus, on the morning of the third day there was a thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. And very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Jewish believer associated the receiving of the law with demonstration of fire, a demonstration of loud noise, the voice of God. In fact, I was uh, listening to something just this week by a Hebrew scholar in, in Israel who said they actually had a tradition that the, the fire at, on Mount Sinai broke into 70 flames which came and spoke, they heard the Lord's voice in 70 different languages. That that was being taught at the time of Christ. I can't validate that or not, but certainly there, there feels like an association here with what happened at Sinai with what happens at Pentecost. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And this is how it is that each, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Lib- Lib- Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked to one or another, What does this mean? And some made fun of them, said they've had too much wine. It's interesting, no matter how clear the evidence, they're speaking other languages. If you don't want to believe, you don't believe. You just say they're drunk. What's the significance of this? If if Pentecost truly represented to the Jewish people the giving of the law, then this is the giving of something new. It's the beginning of this new thing, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which builds on the Old Testament, doesn't negate the Old Testament. It fulfills the Old Testament, but it's a new thing, and, and Notice what's new about it. First, what Jesus predicted in John chapter 14 and John 16. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is almost always associated with the idea of power. The Holy Spirit comes in power and and he empowers his people, the people of God. He is a demonstration of the power of God in the world and, and In that first Christian Pentecost, they experienced that power in a way that is staggering. But notice also the strong point he makes of all the different nationalities represented, all all these people from different places. From the very beginning, God demonstrates that Acts 1-8 is serious, that, that the gospel is to go out into all the world the uttermost parts of the world, and, and that the church is intended to be, by God, a, a, a community of different people. And, and that kind of sounds fun to us. I mean, we, we live in a world where, you know, uh, we have a new neighbor. He, he's from Germany. He lives two houses down from a neighbor from Spain. In other words, and and we have multiple Asians in our neighborhood. We live in a cosmopolitan world, so this is much more comfortable to us. But in the first century, to a Jewish person who had been taught all his life to say separate from uh, Goyim, Gentiles, this was a, a disturbing idea. And they, I mean, parts of the tabernacle, even a Gentile convert, Judaism wasn't allowed to come into. It was only the court of the Gentiles. You had to be a Jew to come into the inner court of the temple. And and God is so clearly opening His work. And this, I think, is the beginning of the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31 the new covenant what is said in Jeremiah 31 is not completed there but it the, the Jeremiah 31 says that there will be a new covenant and and God will put his word on on the heart of the people and this is the beginning of that by virtue of the power of the spirit and and the power of the spirit comes upon the people of God and suddenly people who follow Jesus are different. I can't emphasize that enough. And, and the community of people who follow Jesus are different. In, in this case, it's demonstrated by the ability to speak in known languages so that everyone who hears uh, hear, but understands it. But, but can I be really, really clear? From here on, the church is viewed as a supernatural organization. Uh, we, we are not a Pentecostal church. Um, I have friends who are Pentecostal. I even spoke at Christ for the Nations one chapel. Um, uh, they love Jesus. They love the gospel. We're not a Pentecostal church. But all biblical churches are Holy Ghost churches, if you know what I mean. All Christian churches uh, live in the context of the indwelling Holy Spirit, not only of us individually when we come to faith, But as a community, uh, God's intention is that the body of Christ be a Holy Spirit community uh, so that we are empowered and, and encouraged and strengthened to be supernatural. God's intention is that we're not just another club we belong to of people that have been made well because we're forgiven. God's intention is that the the church is supernatural, uh, but not because of us. Uh, We're simply sinners redeemed by the blood of Christ on the cross, but but because the Spirit is in and among us. And, and when you read the rest of the book of Acts, you, you see how the Holy Spirit demonstrates that power. And, and one of the things so great about the uh, book of Acts is they do it so imperfectly. The people of Acts, like the people in the epistles, are a mess like us. And and yet, in in. In spite of their stumbling and their mistakes and their divisions, the force of the church moves through the whole known world at that time and and rolls through what we know of Turkey and Europe all the way to Spain and northern Africa and, and changes the world. Is that because they were so smart? Well, they were brilliant, but that's not the reason. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and we sometimes too quickly depend on only our own power, our own ability. And in doing so, we limit the cause of Christ. God intends to do miraculous things in and through us. And the church isn't just for people like us. Alan Ross, one of my favorite professors in seminary, amazing Hebrew scholar, spoke of the typology of the Feast of Weeks in this way, uh, or what the Feast of Weeks represents. is explicated in Acts chapter 2. Luke begins the chapter by saying, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. In the Old Testament, the feast was celebrated bringing two loaves baked with leaven as first fruits of the Lord. And the people brought the Lord loaves of bread, what the harvest had made possible, from the first fruits to the full grain harvest. In time, the feast was also associated with the giving of the law at Sinai. In the New Testament, Luke saw the beginning of the church as the fulfillment of what had come to be called Pentecost. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of first fruits, all foreshadowed those, those spring feasts before this, when all foreshadowed the redemptive work of the Messiah, and Pentecost was the natural extension of Christ's work. Just as the first fruits were eventually turned into loaves of bread, Christ's death and resurrection produced the body of Christ. Believers who were gathered into the church on this day of Pentecost. And just as Pentecost commemorated the giving of the law to Israel at Sinai, the Lord chose this day to send His Spirit and unite the body of Christ. And according to the new covenant, the Spirit will write the law on the hearts of believers. And just as the loaves of bread made with leaven were placed before the Lord, the believers, imperfect in many ways, were presented before the Lord. Here then is the, what the first fruits of the resurrected Christ produced. And they, in turn, are the first fruits of the new generation, creation. Pentecost is an amazing day because it is so full of meaning for us today. Now I want to turn from what the day of Pentecost says about the body of believers to the context we live in today. Today. What's going on in our world? I know some of you say that we shouldn't bring that up. It's political. No, this isn't political. This this is our lives. And I certainly have no intent to be partisan. Um, but but we have to ask ourselves what, what does the Lord say about all of this? As you know, this week we've seen way too many times, if we've turned on the TV at all, the killing of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis, while three other police officers stood and watched. And it seems like yesterday when we saw the video of Ahmad Arbery being gunned down by citizens who decided he looked dangerous. And I, I know that all the facts aren't out, but you watch that video and, and the simple question is, if either of those men were people that you knew, what would you think? And, and, and the fact that uh, the video of Arbery didn't show up for months but was set st- aside implies even more that things weren't going to be followed according to our judicial system. Um, so how do we respond? Will, will you please suffer me as your pastor to talk about it? first of all, the killings. The video evidence is enough for me. Um, Certainly, people need to have their day in court. Our system has to work. We do not have um, justice uh, without that system of law, but if either of the two men that were killed had been people I knew, I know how I'd feel. And George Floyd, in particular, uh, there have been quotes by his pastor. He grew up in Houston, his pastor in Houston, about his love for Christ, the redemptive work he'd done in the community in Houston. It is clearly a tragedy. He, he resisted arrest, which is never smart, but you cannot, in my opinion, look the other way without killing. There, there has to be court proceedings the protests. Uh, we live in a country where the right to assemble is, is one of our constitutional rights and, and it is one of the great ways historically that our citizens have spoken so that our leaders would hear. And, and I think the combination of these two killings so close to each other was a tipping point. Um, the fact that one had been covered up and the other one was so graphic, I, I think, uh, many in our society, both black and white, who, who watched it, uh, in a sense, screamed out, Lord, and if they weren't believers, our country, how, how can this still go on? And so uh, the fact that there are protests, I think, is reasonable, as long as they're peaceful and law-abiding. Um, I, I am old enough that I remember Watts burning. I, I remember the riots of the 60s. And I've had some young people say things have not gotten any better in America. And and honestly, that's offensive too because, because I remember the way African Americans were treated in America prior to the Civil Rights Movement. And to say that it's not any better is hugely disrespectful from older black people and the fact that we had a black president, I I yearned to believe that that meant that we had made more progress than we obviously had. I I thought the fact that a black president was nominated and elected and and elected a second time and and the high visibility of black celebrities, I I thought I'd hoped so deeply that that meant we had overcome so much. I don't know if my black brothers and sisters were trying to say and I wasn't hearing or we just couldn't see, but what has become more and more evident is that while some very visible things of progress have been made, there are clearly areas where they have not. You cannot but believe that if there were not cell phone cameras, these two cases would not have come to court. And that begs the question, what happened before cameras? if you're like me, you you thought things were so much better, and and in many ways they are, but but clearly it's not where we want it to be, right? The police. Um. Someone wrote me and said, don't don't they need to hear? People need to hear both sides. The police need to be defended. Why? Well, I'm so grateful for the police. So if there weren't police, we would be in such trouble, and including. In uh, neighborhoods throughout our city, and and uh, we cannot say enough about supporting those in law enforcement who sometimes literally list, risk their lives for the sake of our community. And I'm convinced that the vast majority of them are people that went into it for the best of reasons, and and they have incredibly difficult jobs. I I don't know how they make split second decisions, and, and, and we have to be encouraging to them and support them, and, but, but that doesn't justify evil. It just can't. Um, I, I, I personally am supportive of pastors, but that doesn't mean you defend a pastor who commits crimes of pedophilia. In other words, uh, there still is accountability. And when someone does something wrong, it has to be held accountable. And I personally think there are not two sides. I think most police officers, most people in law enforcement, most people in our judicial system, probate officers, whoever, most of them want justice. That's why they went into it. I've known many of them. They care deeply about justice, and they're deeply hurt by this. There are bad ones. And there are clearly things about the way we do things that have to be improved so that there's more safety. But so many Christians are active in this and care so deeply. And there are so many good police officers. If you'll give me just a second, I want to uh, read a um, post that a friend of mine posted. This is, A friend of mine who's an African-American who has a ministry to to do after-school care and instruction for African-American children, he lives east of here, his ministry is east of here, and he posted yesterday evening, police got out and pushed my cargo van today. I ran out of gas coming from Home Depot, and my sticker was two years old, and they didn't ask for my ID. They only asked, do you have help coming? I wish I could have videotaped it. I'm so grateful that he had the courage as a black man to celebrate the goodness of what a couple of police officers did. Because we, we need to hear the whole story. But please, please, don't, don't. You've got to be able to handle two ideas at once. That we celebrate all the good that the police do but yet we have to call call for justice when bad things are done and some I know it'll come out it always does that we'll hear stories about these who did these killings are good people and ironically in many ways they may be I've studied leadership my whole life and you know what I've learned we're all flawed but we all also are made in the image of God and, and we want to make bad people thoroughly bad so that we can hate them. And we want good people to be thoroughly good so that we can admire them. And the reality is that we're all flawed and people who are good mamas and daddies and employers and employees can do horribly evil things. And, and people that we admire for the good they do can also do things that don't seem consistent. The reality is the Bible teaches in its view of anthropology, humanity, there are two truths. We are made in the image of God. We are are made in the image of God. Therefore, every human being has value. Every human being is noble because every human being uh, reflects the character of God. That's why historically the church has Defended the unborn and defended the uh, way too late, but it was a part of, of, of bringing about the end of slavery. Um, uh, defending handicapped people, defending the aged. Uh, because we believe that every life has value. That you can't, every life has value because they're image bearers. And yet, the scripture also teaches we all have sin. And that all of us are capable of things that are unconscionable. Most of us have done things we don't want anyone to know. And the reality is we're all capable of it. As you know, because our daughter is in Germany, we go every year, except this year. And and I get around the German people and I have so much admiration for them. And you say, how could these good people have been a part of the Holocaust? And, And you wonder, are we that far? Have we not done things as a, as a society that the way we treated slavery and African Americans, the way we treated original Americans, the, what we call Indians, I, I mean, the way we treat the powerless even today, uh, the, we, this should cause all of us to be humbled, not proud, Humbled. The theft and destruction of property is wrong. These who have come in and taken the opportunity of the protest to use it to break the law are are doing horrible disservice not only to those people whose property they're damaged but to the cause that they claim to be representing because by doing so they are – they are bring into question whether the point of the protest is, is right and, and it is unconscionable. And our police chief and, and mayor who both happen to be black have, have called them out and begged them. By the way, the head of the police officers associations in Dallas and Fort Worth and all over the country have condemned what was done to George Floyd. The police officers care about this stuff. And what they're doing is wrong, and and uh, it's okay to say that, but we we need wisdom in how we respond. If you've been counting, this is point six. Racial issues are hard. Um, as many of you know, I, I referred to it earlier in my high school, the senior year we had race riots, our, our year was torn apart, and, and as a kid of 17 I remember trying to work through it with the, the African Americans that I played ball with. and, and we were so lost and confused, and our community was, and we struggled so deeply. And ever since then, throughout my life, I've, I've gone out of my way to, to try to work in the area of race, not, not visibly, not to bring attention to myself, but at Hall Ministries and and um, the Dallas Prayer Breakfast, and, and, and it's Dallas Seminary. I, I've always tried to do what I could to in my limited capability to make a difference and what I've discovered is it's just stinking hard. There aren't simple answers. It's, the the hurts are so deep across the board of our country. This is hard. This is one of the great tests of our nations because and that's why in my opinion we have never dealt with it in all of these years. But it's particularly hard for me now because in the last couple of years I've had the privilege of getting to know some of the African-American pastors in South Dallas, and uh, we've had some of them speak, and, and, and what we're doing now with Cornerstone Baptist Church down on Martin Luther King Jr. with Pastor Chris Simmons has been one of the most meaningful things I've ever been able to do, and Pastor Chris Simmons has come to be a friend. And I can't tell you how much I admire what he has done. After I met him, I thought, I am a complete piker. I've spent my life in ministry and have not accomplished a fraction of what that man has done with almost no resources. And his humility and his love of Jesus and the impact he's had. And I texted him yesterday and said, Pastor Chris, we're in a bad time. I'm so sorry. I cannot imagine all you face. And you're in our prayers, and I need your prayers as I try to lead grace. God bless you. And he wrote back and said, thank you so much for your text. Certainly our country is in a crisis, and we're praying that God will see us through this dark time. I truly appreciate your prayers. As we lay in South Dallas, or I'm not sure, I think autocorrect got him, as we serve in South Dallas as well. Seldom am I without words, but this is one of the instances that I am. Race is hard and our brothers and sisters in Christ, who who love the same Lord, who I pray every Wednesday from eleven to eleven thirty on a phone line with uh, a group of pastors, half African American, half white, and to hear their prayers and the way they love Jesus and the way these men are serving and women and and there are brothers and sisters and and they're in a world of hurt. And and can I just say one other thing? This will probably offend somebody. I'll I'll try to offend everybody. It doesn't mean you have to like everybody. Uh, We don't typically like people that are different from us. We like people that are like us. And one of the things that happens is that we, we get exposed to people that are different and they dress differently, they eat differently, they, they sing differently. They, there's these differences and, and we're uncomfortable with it. And, and so we suddenly feel justified in not extending Christ's love. And can I just say Jesus didn't say this is, this is the first great, second great commandment that you like your neighbor as yourself. He just says you make the choice to love them. And I hate to break it to you, I'm not sure they like us either. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we obedient to Christ in the way we respond? So what in the world does that have to do with the day of Pentecost? If we were just a human organization, this problem would be too big for us. If we were just a group of people than just doing what our emotions forced us to do would be enough. But we're not that. We are the Holy Spirit-filled community of God. are the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have at our dispense the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And by virtue of His power, when we are a submissive to Him and seek Him in humility, He can use us to do things that are beyond our comprehension. We have a choice. We can respond either in the flesh or we can respond in the power of the Spirit. We can respond the way we feel like responding or we can respond in the way the Lord would have us respond. And if we will choose to be the Pentecostal church, I believe God can use us in our city and in our community to make a difference. Which changes our attitudes from fear to compassion Which gives us the willingness to write our political leaders. I said this isn't partisan. It isn't. I don't care what political party you belong to. If you belong to the the Texas Tech Cowboy Party, write whoever is in that party and tell them we need justice. We need to stop fighting each other. We need to have solutions, not arguments whatever party you're in, we can all call to justice. Tell people the body of Christ wants more than this. In your own relationships, can, can we learn to reach out and love? It's amazing the difference it makes as I go through a town when I see people of, uh, of different ethnic background or different circumstances, when, when you look them in the eye and just say, how you doing? When you affirm their humanity how encouraging that is, as opposed to looking away from them. And saying, in, other, in other words, there can be little things, there can be big things. There can be action, and certainly there should be prayers. I, I'm a little tired of those who said prayers aren't enough. No, they're not enough. But if God is God, we cannot but pray, and it should be a part of all of our prayer. Men and women, the day of Pentecost is a day when God himself calls us to be more than just people responding the way we feel. It is a day when God himself empowers us to demonstrate the love of Christ in a way that is beyond what we want or are capable of doing. And I pray God, we as a church will do that. And in the meantime, can I encourage you, let's give each other grace. We we have COVID-19. And some say they've already gained 19 pounds, so it's time to be over. We have the horrible unemployment that I believe is going to keep rolling through our society until this thing turns around. We've got questions over what the right decision should be made for it, and people are frustrated out of their minds, and and families are in stress, and and now we have this. Can we give each other some grace? Can, Can we... Let each other be imperfect. And can we pray together that God will work exceedingly abundantly, more than we ask or think? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that there is nothing about our lives that you don't care about and you're not surprised by our difficulties or our problems, and you understand better than we do where the real issues are and how to solve them. And, Lord, we confess that we are at a loss. But, Father, we ask that you, according to your power, would fill your church with the Holy Spirit and do your work in a significant way and that that believers in Dallas and throughout the country would respond in such a way that demonstrates the very love of Christ who died and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen.